Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together in your name. Thank you for your presence with us. We pray that for each one of us, today may be a genuine encounter with you through listening to your word and through receiving these tokens of your love. We thank you for your presence. Please speak to each one of us, we pray, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. I wonder how you respond when you receive an invitation. Of course, that depends on many things. It depends how it arrives, because uh, if it pops on the, through the letterbox onto the doormat or into your inbox, you have a bit of time to consider a response. But supposing you're just invited by someone, um, how do you respond then? Well, it depends, of course. Depends on who's doing the inviting. Depends on what you're being invited to. And, of course, it depends on whether you really want to go, doesn't it? Um, we can be absolutely delighted if it's from someone we like to an event we want to go to and, and we just rejoice and we, we reply with enthusiasm. Or we might be hugely disappointed because, um, well, we'd love to go, but there really is a clash and it's totally and utterly impossible. But there are occasions where we become a little bit, how shall I describe it, devious? Well, not dishonest, of course, but we don't really want to go, and there's no reason why we shouldn't, but we scrabble around and create reasons, which aren't, of course, reasons, but they're excuses. And you remember Jesus told a parable about people who make those kinds of excuses. Well, the reading for today, the gospel reading, is all about an invitation, a gospel invitation. And it's a wonderful one. Who's it from and what's it about? Well, of course, it's from Jesus. He's going along and he sees um, Simon and Andrew and James and John and he calls them, he invites them. He says, come, follow me. And immediately we're told they respond. We'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But the invitation is from Jesus. But what is it to and what is it about? Well, the answer to that here, it says, is good news. Uh, verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And he saw Simon and his brother Andrew issued the invitation to them. A bit further on, he came across James and John, and it says here, without delay, he called them. So the question is, what is the good news? And if you look back to the very beginning of the chapter, and therefore the beginning of the whole of Mark's gospel, we get the explanation. Um, he writes here, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or as Good News Bible puts it, this is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So in a nutshell, the good news is Jesus. So it's an intriguing invitation. It's from Jesus, and it's about Jesus. He is both the messenger and the message. 
And his coming is good news, good news for all of us, good news for the world. Now that says to me that the whole of Christianity revolves around Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's about a relationship with him. Now we certainly talk like that when we try and share our faith. We, we often use that phrase, a relationship with him. But I suspect that somehow we, the nuance of it is not quite what is intended here in the New Testament. Because when we talk about faith, and, and this is not intentional of course, but we give people the impression that it's got something to do with us. Faith might be this mysterious thing you can't easily put into words. It's deep down inside us. Um, and it, it, it's hugely important to us in our life. And we wish other people could share it. And our, and our attempts to pass on the message about Jesus to them gives the wrong impression. Now, I may be wrong, but uh, just bear with me and see. I think we give the impression that faith has got something to do with the kind of person you are. And that leads to the reaction which says, well, I haven't got that religious gene. Or, you know, I didn't have whatever experience it is that you've had. Um, maybe you were the one, of the one of the lucky ones. You've got the gene or you were there when faith was dished out. You know, I, I don't have that. Um, and somehow the emphasis seems to be on us rather than on him. Now, wait a minute, that's not what Christianity is about. The good news is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Somehow, we've got testimony in the wrong place. It's up front when it should be much more secondary and supportive. Testimony is really testimony about Jesus Christ. And, uh, or maybe we came to faith, maybe we don't know how we came to faith. Uh, maybe it just sort of grew on us somehow, or maybe... Um, we had some dramatic happening or we were in a desperate situation and that's when we called on God and he became more real to us. But we leave people often saying, well, I haven't got this inner need, this inner something that you've had. I haven't had the dramatic visitation of any sort and maybe it'll happen to me one day. I'm happy to wait around and, uh, you know, I'm not against God. If he comes near to me and visits me and touches my life, then that will be wonderful but it hasn't happened to me yet. Now, I'm exaggerating, but I think we can all identify with that to some extent. So let's, let's demystify faith for a minute. There's nothing religious about it in the slightest. Faith is as good or as bad as the person you trust, isn't it? Um, and when we, when we exercise faith, we're putting our trust in someone. We do it every time we put our money in the bank every time we invite in a babysitter, any time we submit to a surgeon's knife, we're putting our trust in someone. And what matters is not so much our faith. Yeah, it's of secondary importance. But what matters most is, is that person someone I really can trust? Will they deliver the goods? And what we're saying as Christians is that that's true of Jesus Christ. The very crudest level, if someone wants a plumber and you recommend someone, they're, they're not terribly interested in how much faith you've got in him or her. I mean, you, yes, it's, it's of secondary importance. What they really want to know is, is he a good plumber? 
You know, does he turn up on time? Is he reliable? Will he do what he said he'll do? And is he not too expensive? You know, is the plumber really good? And when we talk about Jesus, the focus should be on him, not on us. That's the message I get from Mark chapter 1. The good news is Jesus Christ himself. And if you look back to uh, the beginning of Mark where it says this is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, um, he's going to go on and tell the story. More about that in a minute. But Jesus comes and he says, follow me. And all we need to do is just respond and say, yeah, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. I want to walk with you. I want to go on sharing my life with you. I want you to be the most important person for me. And when we talk to other people about Christian faith, we ought to be talking about Jesus Christ and not about ourselves. And uh, I suspect that that's such a simple lesson that we all need to relearn again and again. Christianity is all about someone you can trust. You can trust with your life, with anything and everything in all circumstances. Somebody who will never, ever let you down. He always keeps his promises. And incidentally, we know because we've responded to his invitation. But the emphasis is on him rather than on us. I had a friend years ago, a clergyman, who was... uh, um, in a carriage on a train uh, waiting to leave London and uh, he, I forget what he'd been at but he'd got his collar on and it was one of those old fashioned carriages where it's self-contained and there's no corridor and you couldn't get out or anything. So uh, as the train, just before the train was about to leave, a soldier got in and as he got in, he got in backwards because he was pulling his kit bag after him and he put his kit bag up on the rack and he turned round and he saw my friend gleaming dog collar and uh, there was a sort of pregnant silence for a minute or two and then uh, the soldier said do you know he said I used to believe it when I was younger I was brought up to it and I've never really lost it it's actually still in the background and it's very important to me and I'm sure that maybe one day I'll come back to it and my friend I think in one of his rare moments of inspiration said uh, He said, you know, the real difference between you and me is that you spell your religion with two letters and I spell mine with three. Yours is IT, a creed, a philosophy, a religion, a way of life, an ideology. My religion, he says, is spelt H-I-M and it's all about a person, Jesus Christ, who's the most wonderful person anybody could ever wish to meet. Christianity is about Jesus Christ When I first started in the ministry, Bridget will remember well, an elderly couple, he used to manage a a department store in Hull. And uh, he was in his 90s, he and his wife were both in their 90s. He had two older brothers, and every year he would go off on a hunting, shooting, fishing holiday for three weeks, driving his three and a half litre Rover. So he was quite a character. He was in his, well in his 90s, and they were a wonderful couple. If ever you, they were inseparable, but if ever you got one of them on their own, you couldn't stop them talking about the other one and how wonderful they were. Oh, you're fantastic, it really, really was. Now Christians are captivated by Jesus Christ, are we not? He's the most wonderful person in our life. 
and we want in some way the focus of what we're talking about to be on him rather than on us. So the good news is good news from Jesus and it's good news about Jesus. He is the total center of it. The other thing I want to just ask from this passage in Mark is, well, what is it we're being invited to exactly? And I I suppose you could put that in many different words. Um, It's into a new kingdom is the way it's put here in Mark chapter 1. In other parts of the Bible, it's what is called eternal life. I'm going to use the phrase which I hesitate to use because I think you'll misunderstand it completely to say that he's inviting us to a good time. Now, wait a minute and you'll see what I mean. Um, If I say a good time, the trouble is you you get totally the wrong impression. And, And we're all very different people anyway. We've got a different idea of a good time. I mean, you may be the sort of person who wants a disco rave up and that's absolutely fine. You may be someone who prefers a quiet candlelit dinner with classical music playing in the background, and that's fine as well, but we're all different, aren't we? What Jesus promises is a good time for everyone. I think I would call it God's good time. And there's a reason why I put it like that, because the word time is the word that is important here in this passage. There are two concepts of time in the Bible. And in Greek, there are actually two different words for it. Uh, One is chronos, from which we get the word chronology or chronological. And that obviously refers to clock time. The minutes, the hours, the days, the years that are passing by all too frequently. Um, That's the time we have in mind when we think about checking whether our watches are right, when we hear the news on Big Ben, it's the time that sort of rings out and governs our lives so much, doesn't it? Clock time. The other idea of time in the Bible is, the word is kairos, the Greek word, and it means opportunity. Boris Johnson said this last week, didn't he? In terms of climate change, we are one minute to midnight. Of course, he didn't mean clock time. He meant here is a wonderful opportunity. This is a hugely significant moment which which the leaders need to step up to and do something about. And yeah, we know they've made some wonderful promises. Let's hope they can be hammered out and the detail uh, put on those during the rest of this week. But he was saying this is a hugely significant, critical time. We have the opportunity to do something now. So those are the two ways in which the word is used in the Bible. Chronological time and opportunity time. And uh, both of them are here in Mark chapter 1. It's interesting. If you look at verse 9... Um, It doesn't actually use the word chronos, but it uses a phrase which means the same thing. It says, at that time, um, we're we're talking about Jesus um, starting his ministry in Galilee. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, it's referring to a specific time, the time of Jesus being here on earth. We'll hear in the readings at Christmas, won't we, that it was a time when there were shepherds in the field, 
when there was a census being taken, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, when Mary's cousin Elizabeth found that she was miraculously pregnant, and of course so did Mary. It was a specific time in history, chronological time, historical time. These events actually happened. So we're talking about real things at that time. And Mark then, from the beginning, launches into his good news story. And what he's going to do is tell us the story of Jesus over the next three years, all the things that he did. And uh, he wants us to, to drink those in. It was a time in history when Jesus did amazing things. And when we find our faith weakening, again, we look away from ourselves, we look at the story of Jesus, don't we? The love he showed to everyone, the healings he performed, the depth of his teaching the breadth of his love, the wonder of his death and resurrection. Uh, fantastic. The old children's chorus says it, doesn't it? Wide, wide as the ocean, high as the heavens above, deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Saviour's love. I, though so unworthy, still am a child of his care, for his word teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere. There has never, ever been love like that shown before or since. The love of Jesus Christ for every single one of us. And I just want to hear the old, old story told again and again of, of what happened during those three years. I mean, that is what Mark is doing. And uh, Jesus is speaking that language of time here, and Mark is as well. This is, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's more that, I, I think when we are weakening, we, we need to get enmeshed in that story again, soak ourselves in it. That's the way for faith to be renewed and strengthened. But there's also the other use of the word time and the concept, isn't there? Jesus says here to uh, Simon and to Andrew, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The word there is definitely kairos. It's opportunity time. When people are confronted with the truth about Jesus, with the story of Jesus, they are immediately presented with an invitation. Come, follow me. There's a supernatural right time quality about it. This is the message I need to hear. This is the person I must respond to. This is the moment in life for me. Now you can uh, conflate those two ideas of time and say, well, how long is the opportunity going to last? And I suppose that's difficult to answer. Time is a strange thing, isn't it? It's where we come across its other quality, which is that it's elastic. You know, sometimes it stretches, sometimes it shrinks. Time can fly by in a moment, and it can drag on and on and on. There's a sense in which the opportunity to respond to Christ is there as long as life lasts. But of course, none of us knows how long life is going to last. So the, the only moment we can ever be 100% sure of is now. That's the message of the Bible. Here and now, Jesus says to us, Come, follow me. It's a moment of opportunity. 
It's a significant time. It's a critical time. It's a crucial time. And we need to hear that invitation of Jesus. It's urgent. That's why Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. In the same way that we set our watches and clocks by Big Ben or synchronize them with Greenwich Mean Time, so the significance of our lives is measured by Jesus and the event of his coming into the world. Of course, we do that literally with our calendar, BC and AD. But it's also true of everything uh, that happens. Christ towers above us like a sort of supernatural Big Ben, if you like. There's a quiet kairos ticking in the universe. And sometimes the chimes ring out more strongly in the birth of a baby, in the death of a friend, in some major tragedy that happens, and everybody's thoughts begin to turn away from the ordinary superficial things of life. And they start to focus on the things that matter most. So opportunity time is here for all of us. And the intriguing thing for me is that that call to follow Christ, you may be able to look back to a time when you consciously responded and it, it was it was a once for all time and you gave your life to Christ you may have had that dramatic sort of beginning or, or clear-cut beginning not everybody does and it doesn't matter what matters is is Jesus Christ the center of our life are we captivated by him does the love of Christ as the Bible puts it constrain us control us um, is he our constant friend and companion? Are we looking to him and wanting to learn more from him? So, follow me is a call that actually, although we might have heard it once, is a call that comes constantly. The first thing, and I'll say this as I close, the first thing Jesus ever said to Peter is here in this passage, come, follow me. Do you remember the last thing Jesus ever said to Peter? It's in John 21 where they had this conversation by the beach and uh, Peter was saying, well, what about this man John? You know, the rumor is that he's, not, he's gonna live forever. He's not gonna die. And Jesus says to him, Peter, don't you bother about him. Peter, you come follow me. First thing he said, the last thing he said. And yesterday's following isn't good enough for today or tomorrow. So the call, come follow me, is an urgent call giving us a wonderful opportunity every time we hear it. And we're hearing it now. So how do we respond, I wonder, to the most wonderful invitation that anybody could ever receive? Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonder of Jesus and who you are. We pray that you will become more the center of our lives as we respond to this glorious invitation, come, follow me. Help us to go forward following you in a way that is more wholehearted than we have done before. 
And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord.